hello. Welcome to NCT Square Table. This is episode 10. I'm your interim host today. We're on the PK again today, Robert Zaglinski. Uh, a lot of things going on in the sports world. Uh, draft lottery, conference finals, the NBA, NHL. We'll get to all of that. Surreal, uh, how are you today? Great. Brock, how about you? Doing good. Let's get to... The end of the, let's let's start off with the NHL and the conference finals are now in full swing. Two games in on both sides. In the East, we have one-one. New York sort of take uh, the Rangers taking care of the Lightning in Game One. All, all their naivety, naivety and inexperience, and then the, uh, Tampa responding with the bomb of Game Two, and then Anaheim being an- opportunistic while being outplayed in Game One, stealing Game One, and then really Chicago stealing Game Two. Let's start off in the East. Uh, Brock, your thoughts on the East Finals so far? Um, you know, it's it's better than I thought it would. I I thought that Tampa Bay was just going to come out and and light them up, really. And I mean, in Game One, uh, they didn't do that. Obviously, in Game Two, there's a different story. Tyler Johnson with the hat trick and everything. But uh, the Rangers, at least for, if we're talking in terms of just Game One only, they didn't look bad. Their defense looked good. Lundqvist played as he plays, and they were able to kind of neutralize that offense. But in Game Two, uh, you know, this what could possibly be the story of the entire series. You know, Tampa Bay just came out and they shot lights out, and the Rangers just can't score. Um, you know, I, I think that that's kind of something that's going to either propel Tampa Bay or it's going to wake the Rangers up knowing they can get lit up like that in a game, even with a goalie like Henrik Lundqvist. So it'll be interesting to see how, how it turns out from now if you know the Kings steps up uh, even more and if their defense gets it together, or if they finally start scoring goals, you know, if Rick Nash decides to show up. But uh, it, it's interesting. Um, yeah, so what, what we saw here, even in, in obviously game two was, in the, was domination by Tampa Bay. But game one, Tampa Bay didn't really play poorly, I would say. Like, I, I mean, they were out outshot, yeah, and they were out hit, yeah, but, like, they stayed out of the box, they were, they won more, they won more face-offs, they won the face-off battle, and, and it was 1-1 until a late score by Dominic Moore, uh, with about three, two and a half or so minutes left. Uh, I'd say Tampa Bay probably still has to feel good about themselves coming out of that game where, uh, Henrik was very good. Uh, and they were still definitely in it up to the end, and I don't think the Rangers, I guess, shouldn't. I don't think they should be very confident with what they what they have put out yet. You know, I don't think the Rangers played all that poorly in game two. I think penalties sort of bury them, and the way Tampa power, I mean, the way the Tampa power play is going now, uh, anybody's gonna let up those goal those goals to them. Uh, what's most concerning for the Rangers is your forty goal scorers doing nothing, as Brock touched on. I mean. Rick Nash, the guy who's able to pile up points against the, I don't know, lesser teams. I mean, it's starting to be a common theme for him. Can the Rangers win this series if he isn't scoring or point or having any point production? Should it be a surprise, though, that Rick Nash isn't doing anything? Because every other time he's ever showed up in a playoff series, he's never done anything. He's never been good in the playoffs. So it's kind of at the point now where you're like, I mean, yes, you need him to show up, but you have to think that the Rangers, in the back of their minds at least, knew coming into it that Rick Nash might not be there. And their fans going into it probably knew that there's a good chance that Rick Nash might not be there. And that's a rely on everything else. 
I don't know. They. Oh, sorry, Sir. Go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. You're fine. I don't know if they're accepting it. They seem pretty frustrated. And you know, last year while they went up against the better team in the Kings in the Cup final, I mean, if Rick Nash is playing well there. They might have a better chance. I mean, your number one goal scorer, your number one offensive player in the regular season, for him not to be producing well, you don't just, you know, sort of dismiss that. I don't think they're dismissing it at all. I think they're frustrated and wondering why their star player can't do anything. And, I mean, over the long haul, they're heading, they're heading for a six-game series loss if, if, if he doesn't start doing something. And something to, something to note, though, also, Ben Bishop's been good. Like, he's been... He had, he had 35 saves in, in game two. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I said uh, uttered, uh, it was domination by Tampa Bay, but they were also, I'd say, more opportunistic than they were uh, than they were dominant. Uh, I think uh, New York had chances. They definitely had chances to, to stay in the game. They just let it get away with, as you said, going to the box a lot and such. Um, ben Bishop's been better than advertised too, which has helped them out as well. I think Tampa's done a better job of protecting Bishop, too. I think their defense, while probably less deep and maybe less talented, uh, Victor Hedman has led a solid enough group against a Rangers team they can't score. So, I mean, even while Bishop's getting a lot of shots on goal, they, I watched the game the other night. These aren't exactly, uh, I mean, other than a flurry late in the second, these aren't exactly high-quality, high-percentage shots that are gonna, the Rangers are going to get to go in. Definitely Lundqvist. Lundqvist has definitely been uh, under siege more. Is there a way the Rangers can adjust, do you think? I, I think, what, well, first of all, important to stay out of the box. They have to stay out of the box. They cannot... You, you're already against... When they're on the ice, you're, you're against three more skilled forwards than, than they've got. And then if you go on the kill, then, then you've, you're obviously outnumbered with... You're outnumbered and outskilled, so that can't, that can't continue... Uh, and I think generally, uh, once again, they have to find an answer for Tyler Johnson. That's easier said than done. But he's been—he has 11 goals in the playoffs. That's a lot of goals. You know, it, it would also be nice not to let up a goal when you're shorthanded or when you're up with a five-on-three. You know, that—that—that's that, oh, that, that, the ideal. That's probably the ideal. When you have the five-on-three and you let three guys score, and you win. Yep. Brock. What about you? Any adjustments for the Rangers? I think uh, I think Surreal kind of hit it on the head. You know, stay out of, stay out of the box and find a better way to score. Um, we've seen you know Tampa Bay's defense while they're good, they're not great. Um, and with the Rangers having a very good and very deep defense, they have to find a way to keep Tampa Bay from scoring, and they have to find a way to get past and to kind of exploit a a younger Tampa Bay defense uh, that can be good because obviously they showed it. Um, you know, like I said, Victor Hedman is kind of the leader, but he's extremely young leader. Um, he hasn't been around for a really long time. So if they can if they can find a way to get their offense going, if Nash obviously can show up, if St. Louis can show up, if Derek Broussard can kind of do bring back what he did in their first series, um, you know, they could do well, uh, but things aren't looking up for them. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Okay, so predictions for tonight, I guess. I mean, if we're going to do that, who wins game three in Tampa? Uh, Tampa wins. Do we want to score? 
I mean, a score doesn't matter. Who who takes the, the series lead tonight? Who takes advantage of the series lead tonight? That's it. So, so Tampa. Surreal? Yeah, I would say I would say Tampa as well. They they are com, coming off strong after a pretty big win. And they're back at home. And uh, yeah. All right, moving over to the West, where the two teams sort of stole games that they should have uh, lost. Your guys' thoughts on the West final between the Hawks and Ducks so far? Uh, yesterday, great game. That was really great game. Really good game. I I stayed up to watch that one. Um, I thought I thought the Ducks definitely outplayed in that game yesterday. Ducks deserved to probably deserved to win the game, but Crawford was uh, lights out as he has been reasonably frequently. Um, I think game one was. I, I would say that Chicago probably outplayed in that game as well. Actually, I would say definitely outplayed they had for a the most part in that game. They did outplay them significantly. So I think this kind of, this this is a balancing act more than more than anything. I would say uh, Chicago was unlucky to be down going into the second, and then. They actually they played better than to be losing the entire game, and last night was I uh, probably the other story. I, I saw at least three or four occasions where Perry should, Corey Perry specifically should have ended the game. He had a few chances that he needed to put away. Crawford made some huge saves. I saw that one uh, with uh, I think it was Cam Fowler uh, and wide open in the slot. He he put that one away. Perry again. Perry pops that goal in front of the net in the in second OT probably. Uh, like nine times out of ten, and he he couldn't put it away. So I'd say it. I, I'd say I'm more impressed with the Ducks than I am anything else because the Ducks we've been uh, ragging on them pretty frequently over our coverage, and and they seem to they they're they're a fighting team. Yeah, it's it's safe to say that the that they're they're a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they were. You know, throughout the first the first couple series, they played the the worst teams, and they rolled through both of those teams. You know, they didn't look like a good team. They just looked like a, a team that was, you know, better than these lesser teams that kind of squeaked their ways into the playoffs. Um, and Chicago, obviously, was just rolling. And uh, I think that, you know, they probably heard some of that criticism, and they, and they you know, they stepped up to the plate. They, they looked really good against Chicago, you know. Sure, Chicago probably should have won Game One, but like we we're saying, the Ducks probably should have won Game Two. Um, you know, they they came to play, and they're not gonna. I still think Chicago's going to wind up pulling it out, but the Ducks aren't gonna make it easy on them. No one says it's gonna be easy. I mean, the playoffs is a battle of resilience. Uh, we've underestimated the Ducks, but they're still, and that's because of their defense and their defense is still really bad. Like. Sorio is mentioning how Corey Perry has so many uh, shots for Cam Fowler to end the game. I mean, Andrew Shaw in front of the net, Antoine Vermette, all that that third line for the Hawks creating things. It was that kind of game. Um, the Ducks obviously have plenty of offensive depth. They're not more than the top six, but their defense is the defense is exactly what we thought it was. Uh, in a series where Patrick Kane has done nothing, where Brandon Saad and Jonathan Tate have done nothing offensively. I mean, for the Hawks to steal a game they desperately needed is 
uh, not desperately needed, but to, to get the split, and then now you have both games at home where you dictate matchups and you can shelter your bottom pair and you can separate more of your defense's minutes, I'd say the series is going exactly as I thought it would. Nice headbutt action from Shaw last night, too. I like that. Yeah, no one, no one knew what that was. I mean, everybody like thought that was a goal. That was great. Everybody thought that was a good... I, I was... There was confusion. There was... A, like, he knew no, what he, he did, too. He, he acted, like, he like, oh, he acted God, like it was inadvertent, but he knew what he did. <laughs> he knew what he did. He knew what he did. Like, like, would you have not done the same thing? I mean, the puck, like... I, I, if it falls behind him, either way, it's going to be cleared out. So might as well try and see what happens, right? Yeah. Might as well try and headbutt it in and see what happens. Like, There's no way that was, that was that was staying up as a goal, though. Yeah, but he 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 even talked about it. He was like, "Why would I hit it with my stick? If I hit it with my stick, they're definitely gonna call me for high sticking. So let's let's test it out. Let's hit it with my head." Yeah. Technically, there's not a like a headset fest rule against the head. They're just saying don't you can't uh, bat it or with any part of your body other than the stick. It does not like specifically say. But anyway, yeah. That was fun. It's still safe to say, I think, in my mind that uh, Anaheim's probably a better team than Minnesota because of their better offensive depth. But Minnesota still has the better uh, defense, likewise, in my mind. And so far with Frederick Anderson's .99 save percentage against the Hawks with some of their star players not scoring, that, that that's more of a horseshoe in his net than him being really great, even though I, I will give him credit for, for a great first two games. I, I still have to go, not a heavy advantage Chicago, but advantage Chicago, like I said initially in this series, I I, I don't see the Ducks' defense. The Ducks' our defense isn't as experienced with all those heavy minutes that they played last night, still making bad turnovers. I mean, I, I still see... That was a key. That 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 that, that was a that, that could be a backbreaking loss for Anaheim last night. Yeah, well, and they're you know the, with the Hawks going back home. I mean that that United Center is a tough place for any team to play. I mean it is it's a madhouse. It's it's wild and crazy, and I mean the fans in Chicago are great. So you know it's going to make that even tougher for Anaheim to come in there and try and steal one or two games in Chicago. So it'll. It'll be interesting to see just how well they play in Chicago versus playing at home. Some uh, some stats. Uh, now, now obviously with the Hawks at, at home, they can dictate matchups. So they can get Taves away from Kessler. They can uh, probably stick Vermette with Kessler, who Vermette's line last night was 27 shots for, 15 again. So they smashed Kessler's line last night. And... Um, Last night, the the hero of the game, Marcus Kruger, his line was the best line in the ice, contrary to the popular belief of Brian Egenglom and his clowns. Uh, Marcus Kruger was 14 for 14, your fourth line center on face-offs against Ryan Getzloff. 14 yeah, that's for 14. impressive. That is impressive. Your fourth line checking center against a top five center in the, in the NHL. So, if... And the Hawks were throwing Kruger out willingly, so they they have all the mat. The Hawks have all the matchups they, they they need, regardless. The Ducks may be underestimated a little bit, still pretty good because their offensive depth. But it's like like we, I mean, I'm, I'm getting the sense you guys have the same sentiments. Chicago can control the matchup now, and also, excuse me, I'd say a lot of clutch uh, 
clutch penalty killing from Chicago too. They they took some bad penalties, and uh, in overtime. That was the thing too coming into this series. We talked about uh, Anaheim's killer power play, uh, but we also knocked it as well because they're scoring against the Jets and Flames, who had some awful PKs. While the Hawks killed off all five power plays the Ducks had last night. Yep. So whatever hot dangerousness the Ducks had, it seems to have been wilted away so far. The the post was also uh, the the iron was definitely also a, the Blackhawks' best friend yesterday. I, I I distinctly remember at least five five posts for for Anaheim. Yeah, I mean that happens. That happens. Too. Yeah, no, I agree. But it was just that was, post is a goalie's best friend. <laughs> Sixty saves in for Tory Crawford, the most in franchise history as well. Anybody who ever doubted him, even or had it started the controversy at the end of the at the beginning of the playoffs, when his defense is playing in front of him, he's he's a baller. Uh, so predictions for Game Three tomorrow night in Chicago. Either. Uh, uh, I say Chicago. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll say Chicago too, just because coming off of a of a taxing and emotional win. Uh, important win going back home. They'll be riding high after stealing that game. I'd say, I'd say Chicago, yeah. I'll, I will obviously agree for obvious reasons, but yeah. Uh, advantage Chicago so far. We'll see how it goes in both series with Tampa and New York as well in the East. Okay, uh, let's move to NBA now with conference finals. At least I'm supposed to win in the West. Uh, Last to tonight, Cleveland and Atlanta kick off the East. But last night, Warriors splash off Game One. Is that is that an appropriate? <laughs> is that an appropriate? Uh, I, I suppose. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't really that creative, but uh, let's talk about the West first before we get to the East. The impressions from Game One. Impressions from the overall series. Really. Uh, so obviously, coming into the series, we're looking at. Uh, number one, number two in the MVP voting, probably deservedly so. Harden as well. Uh, I have traditionally been anti-Harden just because I don't like uh, I don't like the way that he plays his his uh, his traditional lack of defense, which he improved this year, and just his uh, his more I would say flo- his floppy attitude to to a basketball his his wanting to get to the line more often than anything, uh, but he's obviously he he propelled that team to being even half the team they were this year. Uh, before we get to that, um, how about the Clippers and their colossal collapse? Oh, like, we should touch on that. We well, should definitely talk about that. That was more of an effort of the fact that they weren't deep enough, and once they lost. Uh, once they lost and fell behind in Game Six, when they're only playing six and a half players, it felt like they're out of gas. So they needed to close it out when they had the opportunity in Game Five or Game Six. And I don't know, they didn't have enough depth. There's nothing. There's nothing much to say about the Clippers. People saying that it's their historic reason. They're only playing six and a half players. And they blew their few chances to close out. So it's not exactly shocking in my mind. You're not. You're not putting blame on Doc Rivers for. For any of that, or putting blame on Chris Paul, at all? Uh, why Chris Paul? He was phenomenal in that series. Doc Rivers maybe for not playing Spencer. Yeah. Okay, as a 
as a pass from first point guard, Chris Paul is elite. But as a uh, as a leader, do you, is he really that? Like, I, I, the leader and the superstar of a team should not let you lose a 19 point lead with two two and a half minutes left in the third quarter. You have a 19 point lead in a closeout game on your home floor. Your superstar and leader should step up. Your coach should drive your team to win that game and not have to go back to Houston for a game seven. Our uh, game five, Cleveland, Chicago. Uh, Cleveland leading by 21, and they blew it, and they let it get all the way down to two. So, I mean, he wasn't exactly making plays. LeBron wasn't exactly making plays in that stretch. To put it all on Chris Paul, I mean, again, they're playing six and a half players. He was he 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 was your leader. He was your guy that brought you back from three two against probably the best, the second best team in the league, San Antonio, in the first round. To put it all on him again unfairly. Oh I no, mean, it's it definitely not all on him. But I would say I would put some of it on. I'd have to put a lot of it. I think Doc Rivers is overrated. I really think he's overrated as a coach. I don't think he's a great coach. I would put more of it on Rivers, but to put it on Chris Paul again, I mean. Uh, I'm just, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, isn't Rivers isn't Rivers like their GM as well? So he's the one that built the their really thin roster. They probably have like the best top six in the NBA, arguably, with Jamal Crawford as their sixth man. But after that, they don't have a second person to run their offense. They don't have much big man depth. I mean, Glenn Davis is big, but not for good reasons. You know what I mean? Uh, that's why they lost. They didn't lose because Chris Paul wasn't clutch. They ran out of gas. Yeah, I'm just I'm just making I'm just making debate points at this yeah, point. Yeah, just... yeah, no, no. We're, we're, and I'm and I'm saying why. Doc Rivers is the reason they ran out of gas. Yeah, look, yeah. Mac, it's not it's not it shouldn't be on Chris Paul. He 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 balled through the series. It was uh, and Blake too. Like Blake was good as well. I think once again the the depth definitely. So outside of that top six that you mentioned, even actually the top five that you mentioned, because. I really don't count Matt Barnes as much of anything, as much more than a role player. Uh, so the rest of the roster in Game 7 scored four points outside of those top five, outside of Paul, Reddick, Crawford, DeAndre, and Blake. They scored four points. Yeah. Yep. Glenn Davis had two. Austin Rivers had two. No one else scored. Remember when Glenn Davis was slightly in shape? How much, like, how much pasta or just in general, like, Pleasantries? Do you think he enjoys before each game? I got. I think I, I think I read somewhere. Like I was looking at, I was listening to some video, or reading some article about uh, like players' pregame meals. I think he eats. I think he said he eats a full plate of pancakes, and then he eats pasta, and then there's something else. But he definitely eats like a full plate of like five pancakes and pasta before the game. Yeah, he was like uh, a few years ago. His, his playing weight was like two eighty. Now I'm pretty sure he's easily above three bills, and he's six eight. So I mean, it evens out more, I guess. He's, he's not like he's never been the uh, he's never been pretty on the court to be sure. Yeah, he, people people thought he would have uh, been motivated with Rivers, and Rivers has sort of let that go. I mean, the only positive Doc Rivers has really brought to uh, Clipper Land is the fact that Blake Griffin probably blossomed to a top five player in the league. That's probably the biggest thing. But his roster building has been poor, definitely. His to be roster sure. management has been poor, but the fact that he's... I think the biggest reason that Blake Griffin's involved in the players he has, or one of the biggest reasons, is because Rivers has been like a mentor there, and sort of working with him on his... adding additions to his game, the free throw shooting, the post game, the mid-range jumper. I mean, is there an... Blake Griffin... 
Okay, so let's say Steph Curry is the best player in the league, right? Or no, LeBron James is the best player in the league, correct? Let me probably say Steph Curry. Yeah, uh, I would. Yeah. Okay. Player Blake, Blake Griffin or James Harden three, right? Three, three or four. No, oh. I would. Well, I put Anthony Davis up there. Okay, and Anthony Davis. I would put a healthy Kevin Durant up there, obviously. Um, I would say Blake Griffin has top five. Has an argument for the top five. I'd probably say five. I would take him over Harden. I would I take him over Harden as well. This year, I would put I would play put Blake Griffin. I think a big I think a dominant power forward is more. Uh, that being said, he definitely has like obviously improving his outside game has really affected his uh, his rebounding and things like that. Which I don't think that it's good for a power four to not be able to struggle to get you ten rebounds. I think that he should be able to get you ten rebounds. And the fact that he's regressed from that as a rookie, as a rookie he was getting. I think he was averaging 19-11 or something like that, and now he struggles to grab eight. That's yeah, a little. Now he, now he shoots 80% from the free throw line. Now he's a more complete offensive playmaker. He's better defensively. I, I don't know. They, their primary rebounder is DeAndre Jordan. They have more flaws than Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin. Yeah, I agree. Any criticism. And also, point. can I say the other thing Doc Rivers did well? Uh, bring him in meant they didn't have to be coached by Vinny Del Negro anymore, so that that's that's always a bonus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I I know firsthand about Vinny, so we don't have we don't even have to mention him. Kind of scared they would bring him. Kind of scared they would bring him again. Now people are making jokes, but I don't think I don't have to worry about that as a Bulls fan. Do you think uh, Do you think uh, Do you think Doc keeps his job after this? He's a second. He's the only coach to lose multiple three to one series leads in playoff history. Uh, Steve Ballmer's not going to fire Doc after one year, or one year with him, rather. I mean, I know Rivers has been there for a few years now, but he's not going to fire him after one year. So we'll have to see. If they choke it away again next year, I have no, they're probably going to add some more depth. They're not salary cap strapped. Uh, they'll try to add some more depth. I think the Clippers will be better next year. Um, so, yeah, let's talk. Let's finally talk about the West final. Uh I know game one went to the Warriors. Let's go with initial series prediction before we go further. I'm assuming Warriors. I would go Warriors as well. Warriors are five or six. I, yeah, I would say the same. Um, but as we talked about the Ducks in the NHL being a little better than everyone thought, still sort of the advantage, still the superior team still has the advantage there, and the Warriors will still have the advantage here. The Rockets held a 16-point lead on the Warriors last night, I heard. I didn't watch, obviously, because the Blackhawks game, but researched all of that. The Rockets aren't just going to go away the night like that. You know, they're going to fight, too. Yeah, uh, this roster definitely is uh, is uh, probably better than advertised as well. Uh, Josh Smith has actually been playing well, which is... He made he made three out of four free throws last night. That's huge. Uh, he, made, he made three threes. He made two threes, but but yeah, like he, he. Why? Okay, first of all, he shouldn't be allowed to take six threes. I think that was already a mistake to begin with. I guarantee you, Josh Smith could have been a perennial All Star if he'd stopped taking jump shots. But but I mean, here we are. Yeah, and then uh, Ariza has been good recently. Ariza has been good. Dwight was not like he was efficient, uh, more or less yesterday, but he was. In a sense, he I, I saw him turn the ball over three straight possessions. So that being said, there was also that uh, he didn't play a lot of minutes. Yeah, remember when Dwight? <laughs> I yeah, remember Dwight, that. 
five years ago. Be one of those like three or four or five guys in the league that if you had on your team, you were winning forty games, no matter forty forty five games, no matter what, and then whatever else anyone else could do for you. But he was like with that Magic team, he was the only reason they were winning forty five games. Uh, and then he had a two year window where he was absolutely dominant. Now like, eh. with the with the with the back issues and the never he decided to never develop an offensive game, which which definitely is backfiring on him as we speak. Uh, he he just he's not a good offensive player at all. Like he's, he's a glorified the Kemba Mutombo. Anyone who ever complained him to sh- compared him to Shaq. Shaq was a dominant offensive player with a complete post game. Right. Ridiculous. Um, that being said, do you think the Rockets can survive the series without him? Uh, no, definitely not. They need well, him to score more than seven points a game. Not win it, but stay in in it. Long enough, like within six six games. With him it performing at this level, they will lose in five games at most. They need him to be. Uh, they need him to put up an 18-12 line every game, and then they have a chance. Because you're not expecting Trevor Ariza to shoot seven for ten and score twenty points again. And that's all. Have no one to guard Steph Curry, which is probably the biggest issue. Because you can put you can stick Ariza on Thompson and slow him, but, but without yeah. Patrick Beverly, uh, I mean you have no one to guard Curry. So it, it it looks like a quick series. I should mention that after all the pointless drama that you have in the NBA, it is all the four number one seed, and it looks like both conference finals will be sort of average or a breeze. Um, so Warriors in five. Uh, yeah. Warriors in five, Warriors in six at most. I'll, I'll, I'll say that as well. Let's move to the east with Cleveland and Atlanta kicking off tonight. Cleveland coming off a six-game bruiser of a overhyped series against the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta, sort of impressively, I guess, closing out the Wizards. Uh, playoff Wizards, playoff Randy Whitman. Who has the advantage here? Uh, so you did you did just mention that it would be a quote unquote possibly a breeze, and I'm assuming you meant in favor of Cleveland. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I like I'm I'm I feel really bad about going so back and forth on this because I and I will say Cleveland will win the series, but I'm not I'm not as willing to write the Hawks off right now because they definitely hit the wall, hit the adversity even against Brooklyn in the first round. They were they did they were not convincing. Uh, and then against Washington, there were a the few games without when Washington was without Wall that they struggled uh, through those games a little bit. Uh, but I think that they showed a propensity to win some closer games. Uh, obviously, they they cut it super close with the Pierce beating the buzzer in in one of those games, and then Pierce being denied at the buzzer uh, because of a late release on on in the clincher. But even still, I think that they showed some some poise in in tight games, and I don't think this is a cakewalk for Cleveland at all. I I honestly think I would pick Cleveland in seven games. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing, seven games, because I think Atlanta is a more complete team than Chicago. I think they're healthier. I think they have more depth. They don't have as much star power either. But Al Horford's a pretty good player. Jeff T's a pretty good player. Taking taking advantage of Kyrie Irving on defense. Um, let me just say that, I mean, the only way the East wins the title or has a chance in the title is if the Rockets somehow magically win the West. The Warriors, 
the Warriors are, are getting their first their first ring in four, in forty plus years. I mean, it's it's without question. Cle- yeah, this, that's what I think as well. This Cleveland team is not going to take advantage of any. They have no they have no advantages over the Warriors. And I know we've talked this about multiple teams in multiple sports and in all these playoffs, but no one's going to beat the Warriors. Yeah, I I agree because. Steph is gonna make a fool of Kyrie on on both on really both ends of the floor almost because Curry's not so bad on and defensively they'll just put Clay on him. There's it's not even a problem. Defensively they'll put Clay on Kyrie. It won't really be a problem. Uh, and Draymond on LeBron. Like there's not a lot here without Kevin Love to sp- stretch the floor. There's there's not a lot on this Cleveland team and I and I think that even this series they put Teague on Kyrie. Teague's a plus defender. Uh, Damari Carroll has been deceptively really good. Like he's yeah. he's been the best hawk probably the last few games, um, and and Horford is an elite elite big, and he matches up with most anyone really. Even though even though I I, I sports hate James, I I just feel so. I mean, obviously they're gonna they're they're gonna get rolled in the finals if they win against Atlanta the way they get the, the way Miami got rolled against San Antonio last year. I mean, we're you're gonna see that, but. In this series, I just feel so like we're saying in seven games we're giving them advantage on the road in Atlanta because I'm assuming LeBron James plays for them, and I'm not I'm not so sure how many times a great player can carry you through against you know probably a better team because Atlanta I mean other than LeBron would we say that Atlanta is a better team? Oh, definitely, without doubt, yes. I don't know. I mean, like you're saying, Atlanta has a better shot. I'm still going to say Cleveland. But only because of James. I mean, no, there's no other advantages. Al Horford can dominate Mozgov. I mean, Tristan Thompson... I mean, Tristan Thompson will probably have an advantage here as well. But I don't know what well, you... Paul Millsap is definitely better than Tristan Thompson. Yeah, Paul Millsap's a, sort of the better, more skilled version of Tristan Thompson. I mean, Kyle Korver can be open a lot of threes. They don't have anybody to... Run off the three-point line. I mean, it will be more entertaining in the West. That's for sure. I'm just not. There's just this playoffs is that. I just want to make a, the comment that like this playoffs has had so little drama. This has been so little like. Uh, I mean, there's, there was the three buzzer beaters we had in the last round, but it's not like anybody seriously thought that, that like absolutely seriously thought that those teams would advance. The NBA playoffs, it's always. The heavyweights advancing through, and, and even now, like we're predicting the finals champion, and it's probably a 70 80 percent chance that we're going to be right. Yeah, and you know I, also, I mean, like, I also have been like, I don't know if this is just uh, as I've like as I've grown into matured into watching, uh, like having more experience in sports, but I really feel like the older NBA, like nowadays, the NBA playoffs are less. Exciting to me than than they were in years past. I, I guess as a huge uh, as a huge Suns fan, like back when Steve Nash and, and Amari were were rolling through the regular season and then and then falling flat on their face when they saw met the Spurs in the playoffs. I just I feel like I found those playoff games to be more exciting. I don't know if it's because uh, maybe the officiating has become less lenient as we've gone along and there's more stoppages or whatever it is. I just there's less hype to me about the NBA playoffs than there have been in the past. 
I just don't think. I mean, I just don't think the games are as contested or the series is as, as are contested in the NBA. Like we're doing with the Cleveland Atlanta series, we're picking Cleveland because LeBron James plays for Cleveland. Like whoever has the better play, whoever has the better players or one better player that's better than the, all the other team. I mean, you can like there's literally no other sport like this where you can easily decipher who's going to win the series because of that difference. Mm-hmm. There's no drama. That's why it's not exciting. There's no once you see the expected result, it's like, uh, what's going on here? What, this isn't doing anything for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And and speaking of drama, we can flip over to the ever dramatic lottery, uh, the draft lottery, which was last night. Uh, Minnesota winning the first pick. Uh, New York was supposed to like if all went well, New York would have been the second pick. But obviously, they needed to make Hollywood happy, and they they get Los Angeles got that second pick. Philadelphia with a third and. And then New York with the fourth, and so on with records. Uh, fun fact about the like. First of all, I hate the lottery. I think it's stupid. I think the worst team should get the best pick, and so on. I, I don't. I don't. I don't believe in the lottery system unless you completely randomize the order, or or more so randomize that order to make it more. Uh, like obviously, you don't. Like, the way that it goes, where you're going to fall into order unless you somehow luck into that top three. Um, regardless of that, I'd say that, especially in a sport like basketball, where... But, the, but hockey has a lot of retooth, though. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know, but hockey, the reason I let it go more so in hockey is because one player doesn't make the difference on a hockey team. One player can make the difference on the basketball team. Like... I think- I think basketball is more top-heavy, too, so I don't think it's as easy to just reward the worst team every year and give them the franchise player every year. I think that's the reason for it. Like you're saying, basketball, I mean, how many star players are there? How many how, how many true difference makers are there, like, in the, in the league that can carry a franchise by themselves? Ten? Maybe. I, I don't even know if I can count off ten that are true. You're going to uh, give every franchise player to every year? You're going to make the six. I mean, you'd make the Sixers a dynasty based off that fact. Just, they, they would well, just suck up here. And... No, and, and the thing, the, the reason that I have qualms about about saying something like that is because a lot of these teams fall flat on their face and they're in the lottery most every. Like, the 76ers have been in the lottery for since Iguodala left, and they uh, since that last last time they made the playoffs and lost to, to the Bulls. Like, they've been in the lottery ever since. Charlotte's been traditionally in the lottery the last, like, probably seven, eight, nine, nine years now. Minnesota's been in the lottery since uh, since KG was in town. Yeah, like, it's not a solution here. It's not a fix. Like, it's just not a fix. Uh, because of how the NBA works and how money-driven it is to make... Even, like, for example, in hockey, we see, uh, we see teams that are... Uh, traditionally good, like Detroit, obviously traditionally has is always good. Boston has a good culture of winning. Chicago has been traditionally good. Uh, Montreal has been traditionally good, but like things like that. Uh, but in basketball, it's more so that way uh, than any other sport because I think at the start of the year you could probably pick at least thir- twelve or thirteen of the sixteen playoff teams and be right. And and it's because of the way the way that. Uh, drafting works, how you give them that four-year contract. They play for you for four years. They're 25, 26 years old, entering their athletic prime and flying off to Hollywood to play in Lakerland. Well, and, and, but, you used to do that. 
But it's yeah. it's not that much different. Like it's there's a few players that will stay. Like Kevin Durant stayed, but is he really going to stay at at 28, 29? That's that's going to be a conversation for later. He's going to be a wizard though. But but right. But so we're seeing. So I don't know how much the draft really is helping a lot of the teams that are struggling. It's just the more man. It's just more matter of teams not knowing how to manage. Like you're saying, those traditionally good franchises because they're all managed well. They all have set plans of how they want to build their rosters and excellent scouting departments while you have idiots like James Dolan running the Knicks and idiots like Jim Buss running the Lakers and whatever dunce is running the the, the, the T-Wolves. And that, that, that's, how, that's how it goes for a long period of time unless you get a true difference maker. The Minnesota's probably going to, so to get to that conversation, Minnesota's probably going to come out of the darkness after a 10 or 11 year absence from the playoffs now. Now they're going to have Andrew Wiggins, who's probably going to be a superstar. Um, who do you think they're going to take with the number one pick? No, uh, It's got to be Carl Anthony Towns, I think. There, there's conversation about Jaleel, but he just doesn't he doesn't fit as, much, as well. They definitely need a defensive difference maker in the paint, and Towns is both that, and he can stretch the floor on the offensive end. I think, he's, I think he has a higher ceiling, but a lower floor than Jaleel, because Jaleel has... Uh, the post game already built in, and and Towns has to develop something of that nature. Now you can pair those two uh, for the next five or six years, so it wouldn't be a stress. I mean, in uh, I think I saw a, a random stat, but T Wolves now have the last number one picks. Even, but I'm not sure how effective Anthony Bennett's going to be. I think the I think Minnesota's on the right track to be a difference maker in three or four years, but we'll see how that goes. Um, uh- and, and uh, well, I'd just like to add to that. Uh, so Cleveland obviously had been had been that way, uh, lottery bound they every year. LeBron. They lost Yeah, LeBron. But, right. So the reason that they got like even with their drafting and building through the draft, the way that they became relevant again was bringing in LeBron and Kevin Love. Like it, it, it still ended up being that way. Well, they really they really only did it because of the quirks of the la- draft lottery. If we're going to criticize them more, they won the draft lottery three out of four years with a ridiculous system. Got the number one pick again, Andrew Wiggins, which enticed LeBron to come over so they could trade for love. So if we're talking about it, the whole system, yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, anyway, uh, who do you think the Lakers will take? I, I know everyone has the consensus on Okafor. And someone like D'Angelo Russell, I mean, people forget that the Lakers still have Julius Randle on the roster. So you could potentially put a dominant low-post player, or a pretty good low-post player, and then D'Angelo Russell, probably a star shooting guard or at least all-star guard. Oh, I wouldn't. I have watching him all year. I don't know, like, as watching him in the Big Ten all year. I'm not I'm not so sure I would put him as an all-star guard. Or in his career. I don't think his career arc projects to all-star guard. Uh, I think that there is some... There, he's, he's pretty raw, I think, uh, talent-wise, and I think that that becomes a problem. Where we see a lot of the more NBA-ready players succeed, and there are guys like the, the the guys like him and the guys that come over from Europe that are uh, raw, like the the seven one uh, Lithuanian guy Porzingis or whatever. He's gonna like if you look at his numbers, they're just not there. And there are flashes of good things, but all we get are flashes for a lot of the guys. But we see the guys that are actually succeeding in the NBA. Draymond Green, for example, is one of those guys who is succeeding and becoming uh, one of the better two way players in the league now. Uh, he wasn't a touted NBA prospect. He just knows how to play basketball, and I think that's the difference. People chase raw, and people chase athletic, and people chase wingspan. They don't chase 
motor. They don't chase uh, NBA ready mentally. More so. I don't know. D'Angelo Russell was the Big Ten Player of the Year. He scored. No, yeah, he's good. He's talented. But he was also playing against college kids. Most of these kids Wayne are bad. Against college kids in the Big Ten or Big East, rather. Not you know, but I don't know. He looks like a way. He looks like a way. The way he goes to the rim, the way he shoots, draws fouls, how explosive he is. I I, I wouldn't discount him going to L.A. I'm i I'd put him at I'd put him at at a Monte Ellis ceiling, which is not quite an All Star. I think he's more fit. He, he's he's a more efficient scorer than that. I, I again, I'm not that high on him. I'm not like a huge college basketball fan, but the few times I saw him play, he looks like a pretty efficient scorer. And that's what I've read about him too. He's not he's not the guy that's gonna launch up thirty shots unless he has to unless he's. Well, if he's learning Unless from he's Kobe, on the Lakers and replacing Kobe Bryant. Yeah, if he goes to L.A. and he's learning from Kobe, he's probably going to do that, but there's the hope that Kobe would help him learn more, right? Uh, what do you, how about, and then just to finish this lottery talk, what do you think the Sixers will do with their pick? you think they trade it again at number three? Um, I think that from what I know of, of uh, their GM and, and what they're trying to do, it's it's either going to be they're they're clearly going through the longest rebuilding process of all time, with with like last year drafting Saric and he's he's not going to be in the NBA for the next couple years. Uh, he'll be good once he's here, I think. But I think also what we're what they're doing there is so so currently they're projected to be taking Russell, assuming that Okafor goes to LA. Uh, but I think they flip that either way, and they get one of those two, uh, which means that uh, which means that we we're gonna see. I, I would say that's probably their most NBA ready pick of recent times, um, and maybe that'll accelerate them to uh, be in the finals by 2097. Oh, guaranteed. 2097 is a bad. By 2097, set your alarms. This rebuilding plan will eventually come through. All this trading, all this tanking. I mean, I'm of the mindset that they're going to trade it. So that's why I'm only, I'm only saying this. That's when they're going to make it, right? If Sam Hinkie's still alive, whatever like right technology we have by then, then it's all going to pay off, and people are going to remember him for the one title he brought for them in the century. Yep. <sighs> Sixers are such an awful run organization. I just and and that's my problem with some of the rebuilding franchises. Like, it takes so long to do anything of substance because of the way that they try to rebuild. It's just like I don't like even even as an understanding fan where you know there are ups and downs of your franchise, you can't stay down this long for one good year or one or two good years. Like they're not going to be. I don't think there's a lot. There's a huge amount of upside on a lot of those guys. Like guys like Nerlens Noel, he's not going to be an All Star. I don't think he'll just be a like he'll be a kind of like DeAndre Jordan level of boarding. Not even that level, but like something like that. Like he's going to get you ten and three or four blocks, and he's going to be a a good NBA starter. But he's not a superstar or anything of that. Then no Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, probably a really good offensive center, really talented and skilled, but still something missing there. I mean, 
you gotta look at like just like just as a final piece, you gotta look at like what the the Warriors did to rebuild. I mean, they 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 got Curry, excellent scouting. Everyone saw what he did at Davidson. They they scouted out Clay Thompson. They got a great pick in Draymond Green at the end of the first round or second round, something like that. Also, scouting department. You trade for Andrew Bogut. You you uh, you draft Harrison Barnes. These are all players that they did work through their scouting department and all these acquisitions that they did over time. They were consi- they were consistently uh, making progress each year. They were adding a piece or two each year, and then building and building and getting playoff experience and like going through the heartbreak of like the feed, all that cliche cliche crap, you know. And look where they are now. And they add a coach that's finally able to push all the right buttons, and they look like a juggernaut for the next five or six years. But yeah. they did it the right way. Yeah. All right. Uh, Moving on now over to back to the NHL with Mike Babcock, your high-end coaching acquisition. The I don't know. I'm not sure if we've had a high-profile free agent coaching acquisition like this in any of the major sports recently. Uh, your guys' thoughts on Mike Babcock, Babcock spurning the Sabers, spurning the Red Wings first of all, and then now joining the Leafs. The embarrassing Leafs. Since Brock hasn't talked, uh, didn't talk, didn't um, uh, hasn't talked in a while. We'll go to Brock first on this. Um, well, first, you know, it's, I hate to see him leave Detroit. You know, if I put all my Dallas Stars fan bias to the side, I hate seeing a, a coach like that who's been with the Red Wings for so long. He's a legendary coach. I would have liked for him to just either stay there or retire. Much like, you know, when my boy Mikey Madano left the Stars for the Red Wings, I would rather have seen him retire. But, you know, if, if we look at the teams that he had to choose from outside of Detroit, uh, I don't like him going to Toronto at all. Uh, I think a guy with his experience, um, being the legend that he is, and such a great coach, I would have loved to see him with the Sabres. Because as we talked before, this, the Sabres... While they're not good, they have a lot of young pieces in place, and they're going to add on another good young piece uh, in the draft. Yeah, like they're gonna, they have all the right pieces to move forward, and they just need a good coach to to stay there for five or six years to get them ready and build them up, and then have someone else come in and take his place for the next year move forward. And I think Babcock would have been the perfect coach for that kind of a situation. It's like. Twice in a row now, the the Sabers have gotten essentially screwed. They got screwed out of Connor McDavid, and they now they're getting screwed out of you know Mike Babcock in some ways. Um, but you know, and what is it, five years for eighty million or something like that? He's with Toronto. I mean, hey, good for them because he's gonna help out. I can't imagine him going anywhere and just not helping out a team in need. But I feel like he would have been better suited with a team full of young players and uh, rising stars that he could have just given that. A little oomph to the next level for someone else to come in and take over like Buffalo. Before Surya said something, I I I, uh, I read a tweet. Someone said, uh, somewhere as soon as the Babcock news was announced, it said Toronto. So uh, it said, somewhere now Phil Kessel is frantically doing push-ups, trying trying to knock off all the pounds. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and, and on that number, it's it's flipped. It's eight for fifty, but still the most lucrative contract. I'm pretty sure it's the most lucrative contract of any uh, of any NHL head coach. Uh, that's like an average of six 
six million per, almost like or six, about thereabouts. Yeah, six point two five. Yeah, so and that's absurd, really, for a, a given the given the stature of most NHL coaches. I think uh, that's another. I don't care what they say, what what these coaches, what these players say. It's about the money. Like it's it's about the money. Toronto's not in a good. They're, Toronto's definitely not in a good place uh, with their personnel, with their. Uh, but they are the richest franchise. So that, yeah. Right. So and they have the ability to lob as, lob the most money at people. So they lobbed money at him, and the money won. Yeah, the people were talking about. Oh wow, he must have really. They must have really sold him on the rebuilding plan to sign an eight-year deal. He must be really in for long haul. No, they gave him the money, and he's going to try to motivate a unmotivated roster. They've I mean, been rebuilding for a long time, and nothing has worked. They've brought in many good coaches, and none of them have worked. Yeah, I don't. I don't think Carlisle. Carlisle is a good coach. I mean, that doesn't work out. I don't see when the Leafs will win another Stanley Cup, or even be a contender for it. If he, if if that, if that, if that guy, I, I'm not sure if he's the best coach in the league. I mean, it's debatable who is, but he's definitely the hottest commodity. He's definitely the most respected. If he doesn't work out there, if he doesn't work out with all the money they threw at him, safe to say Phil Kessel is no longer going to be traded. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I would doubt he. I would doubt he'd be moving. Or even camp enough. What's sad is that when the Leafs continue to fail, they're going to continue to put the blame on their coach, and Bad Pop's going to look bad in the situation when we all know he's doing everything he can because he doesn't do his coaching job half-ass. Like, he goes all out. I mean, that's he's a very good reason why the Wings have been so good for so long, you know, because he's a great coach who takes virtually unknown players and then he builds them up. I mean, Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Dotsuk were nobody when they got drafted in the NHL. They were, what, six-round picks or something like that, and he he made them into surefire Hall of Famers. You know, and what's sad is that he's going to go into Toronto, he's going to do everything he can, and then they're going to wind up, he's going to wind up retiring, they're going to let him go at some point because they're just not going anywhere, and all the blame's going to be put on this legendary head coach, when in reality it's just this is a terrible team with a terrible management system, and they're just not going anywhere. Uh, speaking of traditionally terrible management systems in the last few years, uh, the other big coaching hire was uh, former San Jose Sharks head coach Todd McClellan in Edmonton. Uh, personally, I, I like the deal. I, I think it's a good move for uh, for that franchise. I think McClellan has definitely get, got the axe because of uh, repeated failures, but I'm not. I'm. I won't put the blame on McClellan. It's uh, it, it saved Doug Wilson's job for a couple more years. Doug, Doug Wilson is a complete dunce in that in that front office for San Jose. Uh, but McClellan gets the axe because uh, the coach is usually the first head to roll when things finally don't work out. Uh, but I expect good. I expect improvement from from guys like Hall and and Everly and RNH and even Yakupov to some extent, who has been pretty poor given his draft status. Uh, we'll see McDavid, obviously, this year. I think this is a team that probably accelerated their return to prominence by at least a season. I'm not saying they'll be a playoff team this year, but I'm saying that uh, I think they've accelerated their return to relevance. Yeah, they're headed in the right direction. Not to pour salt in the wound, but... Uh, 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're going to build themselves into a Shark-style team and then probably choke in the playoffs. Sorry. Yeah, it's like something has to be said about McClellan still getting this Sharks team to the playoffs 10 yeah, 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 yeah. years in a row up to this point. Like, and that's, uh, he's obviously, he, he's been in Babcock system, so he's, he's, he's part of that, fan, that coaching tree. Uh, and there's definitely some sustained success from that Sharks organization that finally fell flat on its face, officially, like fully fell flat on his face this season. It'll be nice for him to have Connor McDavid, Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky incarnate, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I see, I see Connor McDavid being able to dominate offensively from the outset, and then not being able to respond to tighter checking in the playoffs once the Oilers are relevant again. So it'll be interesting to see how McClellan adjusts once they're at that phase. Because he's like, he's like Crosby, is he not? Yeah, it's, there's he's definitely like, the Crosby parallels are 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 constantly happening. And McEichel, I've heard nothing that but that he's like Taves. I think whoever would have had a Taves model player would have been in a better position. That's why I'm still shocked that Babcock didn't take the Buffalo offer. Exactly. More a more of a leader, more of a leader type. You know, more of a. Type, more of the type of guy that Babcock likes. Like, you know, like Dotsuk's a really talented player, but he's not Sidney Crosby. He's also, like, in a Taves model. That's why, that's why they had it, you know. I mean, Eichel fits the profile of, like, your Zetterberg or Dotsuk that he had in Detroit. Just yeah. he's more well-known and he's better off the bat, you know. And yeah. like we were saying, Babcock could have he could have done great things with Buffalo with that young team, but oh well. And guys like guys like Evander Kane, like that's there. There is talent there with guys like Evander Kane being there. Bogosian is is promising as well on defense. Like, I think that's a good roster. That he definitely uh, the the money overtook the fact that Toronto has nothing and Buffalo has a lot for the future. Like, there there are a few teams that are treading water right now, completely just hoping miracles happen. Toronto's one of those teams. Arizona's one of those teams where they've got really no direction right now. Yeah. Um, there's a few teams of that nature uh, that are just like Florida. Even though they improved a lot, they're they're kind of in a sense one of those teams still, unless Barkov and Huberto hit their stride and actually become NHL like like legitimate top top three, top five, four, top six forwards. Uh, but yeah, so there's it, uh, there's a the coaching talk. It goes to show you that. I don't think coaching in the NHL can be overstated either with both of those high-profile hires. I mean, with Tampa and Detroit in the first round, the only reason that Red Wings led that series is because of Babcock, because of his line matching and sheltering his players and putting them in great position. And you see with Joe Quenneville now, probably the best line blender or the best line matchup guy in the league other than Babcock, constantly putting his Hawks in position. Coaching the NHL can't be overstated. The, the guys that know how to push the buttons, and these guys will, uh, we'll see how they get the job done. But they're definitely, they'll definitely be some kind of difference makers. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I do, I do want to say with 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 the coaching, we're kind of referencing Babcock as we kind of keep saying with Buffalo. You know, if you me being a Stars fan, if you look at Lindy Ruff, Lindy Ruff when he was in Buffalo, he's a he's an awesome coach. He's a very good coach. He had a good career at Buffalo. And then he came to Dallas, 
and while yes, the Stars are still not that you know crazy good team, he's done some really good things. I mean, they have one of the best offenses in the entire NHL. You know, yeah, he struck gold whenever Jim Neal decided to trade for Tyler Sagan and stuff like that. But like even with their lesser lines and some of the younger kids coming up, I mean, John Klingberg. I mean, there's he he is arguably the best rookie in the league this past year. Uh, but because he was on a lower-profile team like the Stars, he's not going to be very good. I think a lot of that is attested to Lindy Ruff being a good coach. And I would have liked to have seen the same situation with Buffalo with Babcock. Uh, just as an aside, Babcock going to Toronto probably kills any Dion Phaneuf trades to the Stars, Brock. Am I wrong? Would you like them? I mean, I personally wouldn't have even cared too much about a Dion Phaneuf trade. I, I, maybe it's just a Toronto effect with him, as Toronto seems to affect everyone. He just hasn't looked awesome, like a guy that I'm like, oh yeah, I really want Dion Phaneuf on my blue line. The only benefit I'd see of having Phaneuf on my blue line is that he has so many young guys below him that he can give a lot of good experience to. But that's kind of it. Uh, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Dion Phaneuf, so I'd rather see them trade for a different defenseman or grab one in free agency if they can. Drew Doughty? No, I'm just kidding. Oh, wow. God, don't tease me like that. Drew Doughty for three. <laughs> Phaneuf has been a mistake. Like he's yeah. just, he's, That's on. The last few years have been awful. His Toronto years have been bad. He was good when he was in Calgary. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying, though. I mean, I think you could get Phaneuf if, if Babcock would let him go, but I don't think he will for a cheap price. There's but no you know, way you're, they have to pay. Phaneuf makes seven a year. With Dowdy, I don't even think I don't even think if the if the Stars offered Sagan in like three first round picks that the Kings would. I don't even think the Kings would say yes then. I don't want to get uh, rid of Sagan for Dowdy. <laughs> oh, we would definitely get rid of Sagan for a defenseman is oh. more valuable. I can't. I just can't. No, like I'd rather I'd rather them grab a better a good one. In free agency, just to build on what we already have. If Duncan, like, if Duncan Keith and Drew Doughty in, in the in the league, and then everybody else, you wouldn't want except except Drew Doughty's twenty four. I just I can't I I don't for one I don't see their front office doing that just because of the magic that the, no, that no, is no, Sagan and Ben. But even as a fan, like I'm just like I don't want to. I feel like yes, Doughty and Duncan Keith and some other guys, you know, they are great defensemen, and I'd love to have them. But I feel like the Stars don't need incredible defense. What they need is solid, you know, middle of the road defense that can do enough and a better goaltender. They have the offense down. They don't have anything else down. I don't think they need to be, you know, high power offense, high power defense, and an average goaltender. You need high power offense, decent defense, and then a Good, a goal who's better than Kari Lettinen, I think they'd be fine. We don't need a Drew Doughty or a Duncan Keith, I don't think. A good defense goal is better than Kari Lettinen. Who? A cardboard cutout and goal is better than Kari Lettinen. You need a better. Don't get me started. You need a better defense in front of a goalie too, though. But I get your point. I'm just messing with you. Yeah. No. Let's uh, let's move on to Drew Doughty wouldn't even be considered. Let's move on to. Uh, Final piece, just a few minutes here. Uh, there was a big uproar on social media last night over Steph Curry bringing his kid now. You also had up to the press conference after the Warriors game one win, and then you had Derrick Rose bring up the kids. And you see this, you don't just see this in the NBA. You sometimes see it in the NHL at when the T 
teams win win the Stanley Cup or whatever after a big win when you know they've been away from their family for a while. And a lot of reporters were complaining about it uh, that they can't do their job, that they can't ask questions in alcohol. The guy's distracted, or the, or the, or the woman's distracted by their kid up there. Your thoughts on the ethics of this? Because I I, I have a stance on it, but I'll let you guys go, I'll let you guys go first. Uh, per- personally, I don't really care. I mean, yes, it's it, it does to an extent, you know, hinder a journalism journalist's job on being able to ask them the right questions because they're too distracted by their kids and all this kind of stuff. But it's like, you know, at the same time, you look at Marshawn Lynch in the NFL; he never answers any questions, yet they still they still make stuff work out of it. You know, so I I don't see the big deal with it. Just bringing their kids up there, it's like it's their kids. You know, they just had a big win. They haven't been around their kids probably for very much. They're there. Let them do what they want. It's not a big deal. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, my opinion remains similar to that. I just, sure, like, everyone's got deadlines and all that, and and these reporters have deadlines, have stories to create and things like that. Um, But that being said, I, I think... Something it does bring when you when you see the kids, when you see the families up on, in the press box or, or during interviews or on the court or on the ice or whatever. I think it's it's a lot of people put athletes on a different level of uh, of like put them on this pedestal of being being like They're above them, all that not human. And then I, I definitely think that the like seeing their families on like in public with them it kind of brings a human aspect to them. Uh, just like they're they're the same as everyone else, or like they're similar to everyone else in that regard, and and that should be uh, respected and enjoyed as well. I think, and it's it's a nice it's a nice touch to uh, to the like the rigors or, or whatever of of press conferences and all that. It's it's more so I, I I like it. I like the touch, and I think that people are overreacting. I think the the point is that 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 their skills are more of a commodity, like any other job anybody else does. It's a commodity. They're still human beings, other than the fact that they can shoot a basketball really well or shoot a or shoot a puck from the blue line like really accurately on goal, stuff like that. Like they're still human beings, other than that. And oftentimes in the playoffs, while their life is certainly more luxurious than the average person, I mean, they're still on the road away from their family. They're not seeing their kids growing up as much as they'd like. So when they're up there, like, why why is it a big deal if these, if these kids will sit up there with them? And, it's like, and, and like Brock mentioned, like, a lot of these deadline answers, like, a reporter's trying to do their job. So how many cliche answers are there? Like, oh, what? Can, can can you run through the every question I hear? Can you run through what 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 happened in that last play? Like, what did you do? It's, it's the same answer. Like, what, what, how does your team need to respond in the next game? Same answer every time. It's such cliche answers. Yeah. Like, you you're not negating yeah. your job. You, you take some quotes from like some funny quotes and put in, and you t- you talk about your thoughts in the game. The athletes' quotes aren't necessarily going to help you every time. It's not it's not such a hindrance. I mean, it is a little bit, but right. Like they you know, they. They have, you know, they, they complain about it, but at the same time, they can still make stories out of Marshawn Lynch, and they can still make stories out of um, Greg Popovich and other sports athletes and coaches and stuff who don't say anything in these press conferences, or they just yeah, act like jackasses up there. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, they, they still find a way to report on these games, get comments out of other people, so it's not a big deal. Like, they just, they're just trying, it's just the media trying to, find a way to stir things up and to get people talking and 
you know, obviously it's kind of, it's, it's working, but it's just like, it's a, it's a dumb argument. Yeah, like as Robert say, like there's only so much you can say. Like, when <laughs> yeah. you talk to the coach, what what changes can you make for the next quarter? Score more points than them. Like, yes. like that's the yes. answer. Like, I don't know what you want. Or you can even like, give me your good Popovich and just ask them really when they ask a question yeah, like, like that. Actually, what do you expect? I I want to do <laughs> exactly. What are you gonna do to prepare for the next game? Win. Like, like what? <laughs> what happened on that last game-winning goal? Well, you see, it got on my stick, and I shot I it. Shot it, yeah. I shot it. <laughs> it was on my stick. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna move to the right, so I just hit it like that, and it's in. Yeah. Uh, no, they, they, it's another narrative driving thing. I mean, you see it in every sport. They're, they're, they're trying to drive some kind of narrative. They're trying to drive some kind of point from fans that won't pay attention as much or don't have as much of an insight and. It's all about hits. It's all about like just to get people talking. Like Brad just said, it's it's tabloid journalism, guys. It's tabloid journalism. Yep. That's besides the point. Uh, this has been NCB Square Table episode ten. We did pretty well on the PK, guys. Probably killed like six or seven power yep. plays there. I I just wanna uh, real quick before we end this, um, I wanna make a shameless UFC plug because UFC 187 is this Saturday and it is for not just the middleweight title, but it's for the vacant light heavyweight title that was John Jones's and was stripped away from him. Uh, it's it's going to be a huge card. It's one of the biggest cards of the year, so anyone that's listening, I highly recommend uh, tuning into this this fight. Fox Sports 1 will have prelims in the pay-per-view. It's going to be it's going to be great. Uh, if you want to if you're interested in the John Jones storyline, they're going to talk about it the entire night, so tune in. Isn't Cormier fighting, right? Yes, Cormier, well, after losing to Jones in his last fight, is getting another title shot, but he's going to get knocked out. So. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. What's that final plug? And now, this NCB Square Table, episode 10. Did pretty well in the PK again. UFC fight night, Saturday night. Three, anything you want to add? No, that's not it. All right. Signing off. Go hard.